This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, I, knowing what a big sports fan you are in general, <laughs> and college <laughs> basketball specifically, uh, we are recording this the week before the Final Four. So by the time you hear this, that we will have crowned the national champion. And I say we, meaning fans of college basketball, like Taylor and I. Yeah, right. And yeah, so a... do you at least know about the brackets and filling out the brackets, Taylor? I don't even know what the final four is. It <laughs> okay, sounds, so like a mo- sounds like a movie title. <laughs> there are 68 teams that make this tournament and then they, they, they play down. It's a tournament and eventually you have a, you have a champion. And so the thing that has made this so popular is the brackets. So there's a bracket that's released the first day of the tournament or after selection Sunday. And then every sports fan and even non-sports fans in the country get together, form groups and fill out brackets. I don't know what a bracket is. It's uh, well, let's imagine, and I'll use six, there are 68 teams, but for the purposes of this, we'll call it 64. Um, so there's 32 on one side, 32 on the other side, the 32 on one side, play each other. It, it, when you lose, you're out. It's like a tennis tournament or any other kind of tournament. Okay. You play someone, the winner advances. So and you only get one shot. Each, you only get one shot. One shot That's what makes okay. it fun. And the first okay. weekend is the best because there are these colleges that are really small, uh, you know, with like 3000 people that, that go to school there and a, a few good basketball players, and they they barely make the tournament in this little tiny conference that they're in, and then they go in and they play this massive college basketball powerhouse, and every so often they win because the big team overlooks them. And so this year, in the first year, or the first week, um, almost all of the good teams got knocked out in the first week. That sounds and fun. In in my bracket, my champion, my national champion, got knocked out in the first game. And you accumulate points as you go through. So each each game that you win, you get more points. So when your national champion loses in the first game, you're not going to do very well. So I didn't even right. check the brackets. But because everyone's national champion lost in the first two days, basically, of the tournament or the first four days... It's like I went in and looked and I won the group that I was in. It's none of us have anyone that's in the final four. So it's over for all of us. And I won. It's just been such a crazy tournament. It's been so much fun. So I I, I I assume you've enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, with that being said, to to accommodate our seven sports fans who, who listen to this show on a regular basis. Now, let's talk about farm stuff. Oh. <laughs> we'll move on now that well, we've accommodated the sports fans. Yes, that's what everybody comes we'll to. We'll accommodate the, the rest fans. of the audience. 
Um, I, you know, there hasn't been a whole ton of farm stuff going on because, well, Ferrari still hasn't had her babies and I don't, she's what? just completely, she psyched me out. Like, I think because of the last time where she barely looked pregnant and she had a baby that I got super jumpy. And so I'm like, well, you look bigger now than when you had that last one. So let's separate you. And then she's been in there. I put another little goat in there with her so she wouldn't be all alone. But then it's just time's going on and on. She's not getting any bigger. She just sounds like, are you just fat? Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, because so, she can't move. <laughs> so finally, I was like, you know, it's warm enough now. And there's so much grass growing. So everything's turning green. I don't have to feed you special. You're going to get plenty of nutri nutrition out there. So I just turned, opened up all the gates and let everybody mingle again. I figured even if she has her baby out in the middle of the field, it's going to be fine because it's warm and it should be okay. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I hope I didn't make the wrong decision. But I just like, there's so much more work involved when I try and keep them separate. And she doesn't look any different now than she did a month ago, a month and a half. I don't even know how long she's been in there separated. So I'm just like, whatever, you know, go, go join your people and have a safe delivery. I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> so I, I was, I I could just, I'm picturing her in, in this building where you have her or this fence or whatever, whatever it is. I'm guessing there's a roof over the structure. And she's rolling her goat eyes at you every time you walk by. It's like, really? You really you have to stick me in here? You think I'm going to have this baby like now? Yeah, that's probably exactly what was happening. And the dog, and you know, I keep one of the dogs in there with her. And I think it's really boring because it's a smaller area than the big pasture. And I don't think the dog likes to be in there. She like, she's really good with baby goats and she's really good with mama goats. So in that sense, I know she takes her job seriously. But I think she'd really rather be out in the big pasture. I was like, let's, let's just let them, all, let them all go out. So, you know, I could go out there tonight and, and we have babies. I don't know. Or it could be mm -hmm. that she's not even pregnant. She's just really, really fat. I don't know. <laughs> I give up. <sighs> so what are we talking about today? Well, today we have some thoughts on character expectations. And this is actually material that was sent in to us from C.A. Newsom, who has been a contributor to the show throughout the years that we've been going. And um, C.A. Newsom is the author of the Leah Anderson Dog Park Mystery Cozy series, uh, or Cozy Mysteries with a Bite, as she says. And so um, I've read some of the books. They're great. I love the contributions that we've been getting. But these ones just were especially this was just especially fun for me because it's a look at character expectations in a way that I've never actually looked at it before. So not only is this probably going to be new for all of our listeners, it's new for me. And I just, I get a real kick out of that. So it's not, it's not a lot, but I'm going to read the material and then I figure we can discuss it if we have anything to discuss from that. And that's all we've got for this show. So I hope we can discuss it. <laughs> so um, here's what C.A. Newsom has to say on character expectations. Readers have character expectations in a way that is often genre adjacent. I've come to see a spectrum of types of characters, and it depends on what motivates someone to read 
as to what characters they will gravitate towards. This is important because it is your characters that bring readers back again and again and again to your books. Your characters may incorporate all three concepts that I talk about, but one concept will be dominant and your readers' preferences will play a big part in whether they like your characters. The concepts are based on the kind of gratification we get from character. The spectrum is wish fulfillment, relatability, and superiority. Note that some authors hedge their bets and create a cast that ensures there's someone for everyone to appreciate. So this whole concept of character expectations being genre adjacent, that is like, I never even thought of that. And I am like, oh my God, this is so true. And as I read, I was like, this is so true. So the first one that she highlights is a wish fulfillment character. And the example she gives is Batman. Someone endowed with abilities, wealth, freedom, beauty, all in fantastic quantities for whom dominating their environment is easy. While we enjoy the fantasy, at some point such characters become insufferable or too implausible if they don't have humanizing characteristics. An example of wish fulfillment most readers will know is John Sanford's Lucas Davenport. Davenport is a millionaire cop who gets all the ladies, at least during the horn dog years in the series. Because he is rich, he does what he wants and tells the agencies he works for to stuff it when they attempt to control him, and he breaks the rules at will and comes out on top. Davenport is tempered with characteristics that make him easier to swallow. He's terrified of flying, so most readers will feel superior at times. He is obsessed with fashion and poetry, which might arguably also allow some readers to feel superior to him. In the later books, he settles down to marriage and family life, which make him relatable. But in the end, he will always be a super, super cop, a wish fulfillment figure. Relatability refers to characters we readily identify with. We feel known. Their experiences feel real to us, but risk being boring. The joy in these characters is when they are pu pushed by unique circumstances to rise above themselves. Think Sam and Frodo in Lord of the Rings. Superiority refers to characters who routinely make bad decisions. They are often impulsive, lack filters, or fail to think through their decisions logically. They make us laugh or roll our eyes. They are comic relief and are often protagonists in farcical stories. We need them because plot is often driven by faulty decisions. It will destroy the credibility of your wish fulfillment hero if they do something stupid. So we twist ourselves in knots, creating impossible choices to make doing the stupid thing seem reasonable. Or you can have your impulsive sidekick do something stupid, getting your protagonist into crisis while keeping their cred. In The Lord of the Rings, think about the cascade of events triggered by Pippin giving into his impulse to look into the Palantir and capturing the attention of Sauron. Another example of superiority is Janet Ivanovich's inept bounty hunter Stephanie Plum and her ex-hooker sidekick Lula, where comic missteps drive the action. A fun mashup of all three concepts is Castle. Rick Castle is a handsome millionaire playboy author whose immaturity is played for gags and incurs mild contempt from the cops he follows for book research. All this is anchored by his relationship with his daughter, 
which shows him to be human and grounded underneath it all. A fourth concept that's separate from the spectrum is that of challenge, internal issues and ex external circumstances that make life difficult. If life is easy for your protagonist, your readers get bored. In 1939, DC Comics invented Superman. They soon realized absolute power is boring, so they invented kryptonite. Lead characters will often have a fatal flaw that ensures in certain situations they can be guaranteed to do the worst thing possible, creating crisis despite being an otherwise competent and superior person. Often, the challenges your protagonist has to deal with are the things that also make them most relatable. Harry Bosch and his resentment of bureaucracy, Eve Dallas's history of child sexual abuse. In recent years, the mantra for writers has been to torture your characters, then torture them more. I think an unrelenting procession of bad things ceases to be pleasurable. If life is too tough, your readers will get depressed and stop reading. Extreme challenges can be managed with periods of relief and gratification. And that's, so these are basically notes that she's passed on, right? And um, I, I'm just like, yes, this is, this is such a brilliant way of looking at character through the lens of genre. So like the one character I know well enough to keep coming back to is Vanessa Michael Monroe. And just based on what C.A. Newsom has shared here, I would say that in many ways, Monroe is a wish fulfillment character in that she's someone endowed with abilities, even wealth. She has a lot of money. She just doesn't flaunt it. Uh, freedom, uh, beauty, maybe, maybe not, depending on the, the perspective of the person who's looking at her, like what they put inside their head. But these are all quantities for dominating her environment, right? And and that's where the fantasy comes from. So basically, she just articulated Monroe's character. And then in her notes on wish fulfillment, she says, while we enjoy the fantasy, at some point, such characters become insufferable or too implausible if they don't have humanizing characteristics. And I didn't consciously think of that when I was creating Monroe or when I write her, but she's such a damaged character in many ways that I think that that's the part that keeps her grounded or from becoming insufferable or too implausible because it's what allows her to feel human. And I was like, oh, you just nailed it in a single paragraph. Um, I'm trying to think of the other characters that have populated books that I've written or that I love. And I think the one that I have the hardest time with personally and it's not that I have a hard time with the way that this has been articulated, because the way it's articulated is just exactly as it is. But I just have a hard time writing characters like that are the superiority character, the one the superiority characters, the ones that let the reader feel superior to the character um, who are making the bad decisions. They're impulsive. They lack filters, fail to think through their decisions logically. And I think the reason why. I have a hard time writing characters like that is because I'm not particularly fond of reading characters like that. They, I'm, I'm a fairly logical person and 
I tend to really think things through and not just react based on the emotion of the moment, or at least I try not to. And so when I see other characters doing that, it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> and so I just like, no, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. But I can see exactly why they would appeal to readers and why they would be a perfect fit in the genres that they are created for. And that brings us round about to the, the driving point of this is that character expectations often come in ways that are genre adjacent. And so if you were to put, for example, a superiority character into a thriller where getting everything right really matters, there's so much at stake, it would not work that great. It would, I think it would make the reader frustrated and angry. But to put that type of character into a romance novel or a cozy or a um, a comedy or a caper along those lines, it would enliven or enrich the story. That is my just off the cuff take from reading these thoughts. And what do you think, Steve? I have I have a lot of thoughts, and I as as you were going through them, I was thinking of what most appeals to me as a reader. And for me, it's the the first and the last, the wish fulfillment and superiority. And they're they're I, I guess they're at opposite ends of the spectrum, and and they tend to be con completely different types of books. Um, I was thinking, I can't remember you you talked about this movie months ago, uh, where this family man was just living a normal family existence. He was working like he was like a foreman in a factory or something like that. Something happened and he became this other character. I don't realize who he really plot. was. I don't know if you remember the title <laughs> of that or not of that movie. If not, I can go another direction. And and that is uh, the new CBS show called uh, True Lies, which is a, a takeoff on the. The movie from 20 years ago where there's a guy in, in the CBS show, I can't clearly remember the movie, but in the CBS show, the guy is a computer salesman, like the most boring job in the world. He travels around. It turns out he's a spy. His wife has no idea he's a, he's a spy. His kids have no idea he's a spy. They just think he's kind of a, kind of a schlep. And so the, it takes off from there. And it it's sort of that feeling that I suspect, well, I know that I have, and I suspect a lot of other people have, we, we lead our lives. We have periods where we feel like those lives are completely mundane and we just want to be the superhero. And so it's not a superhero like that's, Superman, that's the wish but it's a superhero too, like right? a spy who goes out and okay. saves the world. That's kind of a fun okay. fantasy. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's wish. That's totally wish fulfillment. That's exactly wish fulfillment. The other end of the spectrum, I was reading this series. Uh, well, I, I read this book. I don't even know how it was recommended to me because I don't normally read this, this kind of thing. But it's like total chick lit. It's the main character wound up working as a secretary at a PI firm. She just fumbles her way through everything and solves crime after crime after crime. And it's hysterical. She is so such a bumbler. Um, 
it it's it's just so funny and it's it's like eating a potato chip. You finish the book and you go, I think I'd like another potato chip. And I just keep reading them, and that's superiority. That type of superiority character I can totally get with. Because even though they're bumbling, they're bumbling their way forward or bumbling their way upward, not bumbling their way into more and more trouble. Yes, 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 that's exactly it. It is it is bumbling their way forward and solving crimes. The character does have enough smarts to recognize when she sees something, but like she literally such a bumbler that when she goes to the emergency room, they, they all know her by name because she falls and breaks things all the time. She so just, do, can you tell us what this series is? I because can't remember not... what the oh. name of it is, um, <laughs> but I will, really I will look it up and put it in the show notes. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I, if I'd known we were going to talk about this, I would have looked it up. Um, but I like, that's a really appealing light um, idea. Um, I don't real. I get the relatability thing in the middle, uh, but that's not something that draws me in as a reader. And as um, C.A. Newsom pointed out, it's like we all have things that we look for in stories. And for me, I totally agree with what you were saying about Monroe as a wish fulfillment character. And um, that's one of the things that I found so appealing about her. Uh, and and there are others uh, like that. I mean, Reacher's a, a wish fulfillment character who is kind of like Batman and that he, he can't be beaten. Um, every so often it looks like maybe he, he will, but he, he can't. Um, and, and those are, those are fun stories. You know what you're getting. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about, there is a series. I think I've talked about it before. Um, the author has recently passed away. His name's Stuart Woods, uh, long series in the fifties, uh, the stone Barrington books, stone Barrington, as a character, keeps getting richer and richer and more powerful from book to book to book to book to book. Nothing ever actually threatens him. And then his friends get richer and more powerful. Yet somehow or other, I just kind of want to be in the room while they're doing stuff. So it's fun. There, There is, it's, it's the opposite of what you were talking about, where you need to have some form of Know, something to make them appealing, relatable. Uh, they're they're totally not relatable, but it's fun. <laughs> right. Okay. I think maybe the relatability characters, you're going to find a lot more of those in domestic setting type stories where maybe the psychological stories or the um, character dramas. Um maybe even in literary fiction because they're more of the everyday person type stories and how they're dealing with, you know, something that's gone on in their family or something that's gone on with their neighbors or um, just stress. Or even, I think you would find relatability characters also in romance novels um, because that's what, like in a wish fulfillment sense, you're daydreaming about the impossible, but in a relatability sense, it's like that actually could happen. This person, you know, has your kind of life and it's still going to, you're still going to find maybe in some of them a tad of wish fulfillment because that's what stories are. 
but the characters are going to be more down to earth and you know like the devil wears prada for example would the the character who gets thrown into that environment is just your everyday person they're relatable in all the issues that they face with you know trying to deal with the boss from hell and in you know dealing with a, a boyfriend who doesn't understand the pressure that they're under and all these different things there's so much relatability to that character and it is the unique circumstances that they find themselves in that makes the story because it's not the character that is making the story you're with that character along for the ride so to speak in scenario like who hasn't dealt with you know a boss from hell or something so you can relate to all of that so I think those are the types of stories genres that you would find those stories in are for the relatability characters that's sort of the the pot in other words that you find them those the most I would guess I would guess that you're right, too. And that tends to not be the kind of thing I read, although when I accidentally stumble into something like that, I, I, I do tend to like it. I just it's not something that I search out. I want to I want to hit on one other thing that C.A. Newsom brought out, and that's the whole torture your character thing. Oh, God. Yes. Um, thank you. I remember. I, well, lots of books where there's it's just unrelenting and it, it it's exhausting and if you make it to the end of the book, for me, if I make it to the end of the book, there's nothing that makes me want to read the next book in the series. It's just like, I can't take this anymore. Agreed. I'm moving on to something that that has some enjoyment. But the whole idea of there's torture and then there's something funny or that there's just a, a pressure relief valve. Or at and least a win maybe more or something. Torture. Something good yeah. happens in the middle. Or, but you I, know. I, I will say that I, I'm not a big fan of steadily increasing just torture um even if even if there's relief in between it it doesn't work for me but i know it works for a lot of people and sells a lot of books yeah it doesn't work for me either um and i think maybe well i don't even know anymore but that this idea of you know torture we could say torment or you know push your characters to the limit with bad stuff that's happening and then do it more. I think yeah. that concept is probably driven by this need to continually up the stakes. And we've talked about that on this mm -hmm. show before. Um, I, I don't read enough and I definitely don't read widely enough to know that the, if this has become a trend, but I would imagine that if it has become a trend, then it's probably born from the idea of how do you one up what some, you know, how do you one up whatever else is already out there and make yours stand out? And I am of the same opinion as CA Newsom, and I am of the same opinion of you as you is that I ha would have no interest in writing a story like that. I would have no interest in reading a story like that. So uh, you know, count me out. But I can I can imagine where the idea gets implanted that you have to do something like that. I I do wonder how far it goes before you just sort of have this reader backlash and everybody's like, nope, no thanks, no more. And everybody starts reading cozies or something because they just got to get away from all the bad <laughs> stuff that's happening in this other subset of, of books. 
And and one last thought on this whole torture your characters thing is I Mm -hmm. think if you're going to go that route as an author, you need to keep in mind or at least have some gauge inside your own head when torture your characters becomes torture your readers. And don't cross it. (laughs) Don't cross that line. (laughs) Yes. All right. And that's a good way for us to uh, wrap up this week's episode. So big thank you to C.A. Newsom for the... uh, with the thoughtful content uh, and we will be back with you again next week. Thanks for being here guys. See you next week. <laughs>